RSVP. Many of us are familiar with those letters, especially the combination of them, RSVP. How many of you have used that when you sent out an invitation? How many of you seen RSVP at some point in your life? How many of you actually know what it means? How many of you know it comes from French? Okay, two people know it comes from French. Yes, it actually comes from a French term, uh, apparently used some way, somewhere as far back as possibly 1895. In French, it's been a long time since I've taken French, so let me just slaughter it for a moment here. Répondez s'il vous plaît. Répondez s'il vous plaît is RSVP. In simple English, it just means please respond or please answer. So, uh, probably a good idea I tell you what it actually means. I, I think a lot of people don't actually know what it means because when you actually send out RSVPs to people, most people don't respond. Have you noticed that? We as a people are horrible at responding to RSVPs. Why is that? I think that's rude, frankly. Most of us have received invitations from someone at some point in our life to various events that are asking for an RSVP. Please respond. Please answer. Many times, uh, it might be for something, for say, something like a wedding reception where you want to know how many people are actually coming to this wedding reception. Do I make 1,000 meals or are we only going to have 100 meals? You know, you want to get that sort of thing right. Uh, makes a big difference in the cost, particularly those of us who are fathers and have daughters and are paying paying for that sort of thing. We want to we don't want to waste money. So an RSVP is very necessary to determine the approximate number of people who are actually going to attend. And so often you'll see you'll see these sort of things, you know, accept or decline. You need to respond by such and such a date. These are important things. I mean, after all, you think about who who wants to pay an extra charge for each person who isn't attending? You want to make sure that you're you're being a a, a gracious host of whatever it is that you've invited people to. The problem is many people refuse to respond to RSVPs. Uh, They either show up without warning, that's a common problem, or they just don't understand what RSVP is in the first place. Don't understand what it means. And of course, there are always some folks who just seem to can't make up their mind for whatever reason. You know, it goes it goes on the refrigerator, it goes you know, on the, the notice board or in a pile or, or rubbish or whatever it might be. And and uh, you just think, well, you know, let me just kind of meditate on this for a while and I'll get around to it. Problem is no one ever gives you around to it. There are some folks like that. It just always seemed to, uh, everything's just kind of, they live in emergency mode, you know, all the time. You, you know those kind of people? This kind of last moment, you know, before they decide to do anything. They can't seem to plan more than two hours ahead. And they're always operating in panic mode. They kind of remind me of <clears throat> the rabbit, if you've ever read the book, Alice in Wonderland. Uh, we just watched that recently as a family, so bear with me. 
you often get kid sort of illustrations from me because that's what's on my mind at the moment. Uh, so we recently had a look at this, and those of you who've read Alice in Wonderland, you might remember the rabbit. He's constantly running around all the time, and of course Alice ends up trying to chase the rabbit. And what is he saying? He's got the watch, which, by the way, seems to have stopped, but he's got this watch, and what is he saying? I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. That's all he says, pretty much, well, most, mostly what he says. There's a lot of people like that, like that rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. I'm late, I'm late, I'm for a very important date. They got all these important dates, but if they get there, they're often late. Well, in today's story here in Matthew chapter 22, we have one of Jesus' parables, and Jesus reminds us of a very important date that nobody wants to miss. You don't want to be in panic mode for this date. <laughs> You don't want to be saying, I'm late, I'm late for a very important date when it comes to what Jesus is trying to teach us here. This is not something you want to miss. This is something you want to be totally assured of, and you don't want to be in panic mode. And so I hope by the time we're done here, you can honestly respond and say that I I have responded to Jesus' invitation. Today's story is about a king. This king has prepared a wedding banquet for his son, and he's sent out invitations. (laughs) I don't know if there's RSVP on them, but he certainly sent out his servants to those who had been invited, and they're to go out and, and tell everybody who's been invited that the feast is now ready and that they should come. We've got a few main characters that in in this particular parable, this story, that we need to be familiar with. Let me make sure we're crystal clear on who Jesus is talking about here before we read it. First of all, I've mentioned we have a king. And in this story, the, the king is, is God the Father. It's God the Father. There is a son whom the king is, is throwing this big feast for. And in this example, as well as in the previous parables, the son is referred to Jesus Christ. The son is Jesus Christ. And there's a number of things when Jesus is teaching in parable or story form that he wants us to learn. Usually there's, there's one big, big uh, lesson that uh, Jesus is trying to teach through the parable. And here's what I think he's trying to teach, and I'm going to break this down and, and talk about the various parts of this. I, I think this is the theme that Jesus is trying to teach. That God is just in his judgment on those who ignore his invitation. And God is gracious in offering the gospel to both the bad as well as the good. Now you'll see those some of those words in our text here. So the first lesson in the first part of the parable that I think Jesus is trying to teach is that God is just in his judgment on those who ignore his invitation. Look at Matthew 22. Let's read together the words of the living God. Hear what he has to say. Verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, 
See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. We'll stop there for a moment because that kind of encapsulates that first lesson that Jesus is trying to teach, showing that God is someone who is just. In other words, He's a God who always does what is right. He has the ability and the right, and what He does here is the right thing in His judgment on those who ignored His invitation. He was a gracious king in inviting these people to come to his son's wedding feast to celebrate. So we see here in, in this story, number one, that the banquet is prepared by the king and his servants. The banquet that Jesus is referring to here is most likely the marriage supper of the Lamb. You can read about that in the book of Revelation. Uh, typically, uh, Marriage suppers or feasts or banquets would take place after the wedding. And, and uh, in the east, there in, in Israel, in, in, in the whole Middle East, in fact, these, these suppers would go on and on and on. They were, they were huge, big deals to these people. They didn't just last for an hour or two or three. And so the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to take place in heaven. Jesus Christ is the groom. The church is Jesus' bride, and Jesus is one day going to marry His bride. And the Bible says His bride will come to Him clean, blameless, because of what Christ has done for her. And He will marry her, and there will be this huge celebration that God the Father will throw on behalf of His Son. So Jesus is going to celebrate His marriage to His bride, the church, and And in this particular story, the king gives out an invitation. In the Eastern weddings, they, as I said, they would last for several days long, and depending on the wealth of the father, they could last for weeks. Well, we know just how wealthy God the Father is, which is why it's going to last, the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to last a very, very long time. So in these Easter weddings, they would they'd go on. They'd be a highlight of, of the social activity of that day. The banquet would often be the climax of the festivities. Royal weddings, they would last uh, typically for weeks. Again, it just depended on how much uh, wealth the, the king would want to throw around. And so this, uh, the banquet would often be the, the key social event of the decade. I mean, just look what happened in England when Prince William got married to Catherine. I mean, that was a huge event, right? Huge event. Uh, probably the most watched event I've, I've heard, anyway, on TV. Massive event. A lot of money spent. That's kind of typical when it comes to a king and, and his son getting married. And so here, uh, in, in this story that Jesus is telling... These invitations were made well in advance. It would be an honor to actually be invited. In fact, people would, 
they go around, you know, you know, waving these things. Hey, I got an invitation. Did you get one? This would be a, a thing of honor. People no doubt said they would come. The feast is prepared here. The servants are sent out to call the people, but it's interesting when you look at verse 3, if you look at verse 3, it says that the king sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Ouch. So the first invitation is rejected. Those who are first invited here, by the way, it's referring to the nation of Israel. Jesus has been talking in various parables going back into chapter 21. These parables are referring to Israel, especially the religious leaders and the political leaders. But sadly, they refuse to come. They refuse to answer the king's call. It was, by the way, it wasn't that they could not come. Rather, they would not come. They would not come. Why? Because they, they would not come because they actually despised the king. They were actually hostile to the king. Just look at the way Israel treated these people. So if you look at this, uh, it kind of just kind of summed this up. The, their refusal is actually an insult. It's an insult in several ways. Number one, it's an insult to the king. His invitations for his son's wedding feast have been rejected. It's an insult to the son. These invitees are not coming. The guests aren't coming. It's also an insult to the servants who carried out the king's message. But the king's, the king in this though, notice he's patient. He's patient. So what does he do? He sends out other servants to, to take the invitation out. Again, Jesus is primarily talking to the the religious leaders of his day. These religious leaders of Christ's day bitterly resented this portrait of them. They and and if you remember at the end of verse uh, chapter twenty one, they knew that Jesus was telling these stories about them. They didn't like it. They bitterly resented this portrait of them, and that's precisely the way these religious leaders thought. It's precisely the way they acted. Jesus knew exactly. They he had them pinned down. And so in the following chapter, in chapter 23, Jesus actually pronounces a series of woes. series of, these are judgments on these people. Turn over to chapter 23. I want you to see what Jesus says. It goes very well with chapter 22 here. Look at chapter 23. Uh, Let's let's start reading. We're not going to read all the woes. Uh, Let's start reading verse 29. Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you kill, you you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, 
from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakai, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Let me just stop there. Jesus is talking to these religious leaders. Specifically, He mentions the scribes and the Pharisees, and He calls them hypocrites. He understood. They understood. We know that in the end, they did exactly what Jesus talks about, right? We know in the end, they did kill the prophets, people like John the Baptist. In the end, they did kill Jesus. These rebellious subjects of the King of Heaven killed Jesus. And and I want you to see how Stephen says it in Acts chapter 7. Before Stephen became a martyr, here's what he said. Acts 7, verse 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. Remember, Stephen said that after Jesus was killed. And he's, Jesus is the righteous one that Stephen is referring to there. And he points the finger at them accurately, showing that they are guilty. Well, today we're not so inclined to kill prophets, at least not you. However, if we're honest, we'll admit that the same spirit is is often present among many. They try to dispose of God's messengers. Oh, they may not shoot bullets. They may not take out knives or swords or that sort of thing and actually kill God's servants and God's messengers. But sadly, too many people, even in churches, ridicule God's messengers neglect God's messengers, and sometimes are even more violent in their hostility. We need to be aware of this. Remember, Jesus talks about, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, murder is something that isn't just physical. Murder can happen within our own minds. Well, there's a second invitation that is given out. The king was gracious. He was patient with these people who refused to submit. Remember, it wasn't they couldn't come, they just would not come. They didn't want to come. They didn't like the king. They were hostile to the king. Didn't like his son either. So the king sends out a second invitation in verse 4 and 5. Turn back to Matthew 22. You'll see the second invitation is ignored. So verse 4, he sends out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. In fact, he, this isn't just any dinner. You notice in the passage there in verse 4, the king is, is preparing a very nice feast. This is a nice banquet. He, he's given awesome food to eat here. This was something in, in, in Israel that, that people, this was probably their favorite food to eat. 
and only would be done on special occasions. And he's telling them there, hey, everything's ready. Come to the wedding feast. But notice verse 5, they paid no attention. Just paid no attention. It's like getting an RSVP and not responding. The second invitation is ignored. And if you look at Luke's gospel and his, his gospel account in Luke, Luke actually elaborates here a little bit and mentions specific excuses that the people would have... Well, Jesus says these are kind of excuses that the people would have given. And that's the way it is today. Many who reject the gospel today have really weak excuses. They say they're just too busy for spiritual things or, you know, that's, that's not for me or I've sinned too much or I'm okay or, you know, whatever the heaps of excuses. And so i got a question for you. Do you fit the pattern? Are you one of these people who you throw out excuses why you can't obey the king? Are you more interested in your good credit than in Christ? Are you more interested in reading, you know, you know, going on the internet or looking at a newspaper or something and looking at the stock list more than actually reading your Bible? Some people do. See, you don't have to murder a prophet to actually miss out on heaven. You don't have to. All you have to do is just fritter away your time on things that are are just eventually going to pass away, and in the process you lose your opportunities for repentance. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. They just fritter away, they don't pay attention, don't respond, and when they die they find themselves in hell. So the second invitation is ignored. And it's interesting, in verse 6, the messengers are actually mistreated or killed. As if it wasn't bad enough to just ignore the king and his invitation. We see in verse 6, there's mistreatment going on, and there's there's people being killed here. They killed them, it says in verse 6. Well, that shows their contempt for the king. It shows their hostility, what they think about the king. And these messengers, by the way, Jesus is referring to the, the early preachers of the gospel. You just think about them. The early preachers of the gospel, the prophets, Jesus himself, the apostles. What happened to them? All the apostles except John died through a martyr's death. John the Baptist was executed. Jesus executed. Many of the prophets in the Old Testament were executed, mistreated. That's exactly what happened. So these, these messengers are the early preachers of the gospel, and they, they brought good news. It was good news, but they were mistreated, and many of them were killed. That's what people who are unregenerate, who are unsaved, that's, that's what they think of God's good news, don't they? It's not good news to them. They love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. And we see in verse 7 that the king responds with destruction. The king, his patience and long-suffering only goes so far here. Notice the king was angry, and so he sends out his troops and destroys these murders and burns their city. It's interesting that it wasn't that long after Christ ascended to heaven, it wasn't that long after Christ left this earth that this did actually come true. It was fulfilled. The king did send an army 
to destroy these murderers in Jerusalem and to burn their city. And in fact, if you know what history says, it was in A.D. 70 that the Roman general Titus actually conquered Jerusalem. And according to Jewish historians, even people like Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, said that over one million Jews were slaughtered. It was said there were no more trees left after the Romans left because they cut every tree down they could get and crucified as many people as they could. They were throwing people off the walls of Jerusalem. They were doing whatever they could. They went around the countryside. They got as many people as they could. See, they ticked the Romans off. You don't want to tick the Romans off. God used, yes, these wicked people to accomplish His purposes. And so the king responded with destruction. Jerusalem was destroyed. And Jerusalem's never been the, since, the, the same since then. So we see that God is just. When people ignore His invitation, judgment will come. Lesson number two continues on here in, in verse 8, and we see that God is gracious in offering the gospel, but notice the gospel invitation goes to people who are both bad and good. So as we read these verses, take note of that, okay? Verse 8. Verse 8. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So we see, we'll just stop there for the moment, but we see, first of all, that the invitations go to anyone on the streets. Anybody on the streets, whoever it might be. The king was was very gracious in his invitation. So these are people who are outcasts. These are people who are poor. These, and when when Jesus, what, what he's thinking about is, he's also thinking of Gentiles. He's talking about people like you and me, not just the Jews. So these are outcasts, the poor, the, the, the downcast of society, and even, dare we say, Gentiles. These are people from the lower ranks of life. These are the people who are left because the city was destroyed. The murderers were killed. So whoever it is, whoever's left, which is probably the lower lower ranks of life, were invited to the feast. And we see in verse 10 that the wedding's filled with both the good and the bad. Both the good and the bad. The king, again, it shows the, that the king is gracious. Often kings would only invite other kings and the princes and queens and, and, and lords and, and dukes and people of of high rank, people in high rank of life, often they're the ones who get to come to the king and and sit at his table. But here we have an example of a gracious king inviting anybody, including the low people of life. That's just the way God is, isn't He? He doesn't go around asking, you know, how big is our bank account? What is your position in life? God doesn't care about that. Often people have said that the the ground at the foot of the cross is level, and that certainly is the case. 
As we move on in the story in verses 11 through 14, again, we see the same truth we saw at the beginning, that, that God is just in His judgment on those who ignore His invitation. We have an example of a man who, who he, he comes to the wedding feast, but he's not obeying the king. He's not submitting to the king. So have a, have a look at this, verse 11. Verse 11, but when the king came in to look at the guests, these, these are the guests who responded to the invitation, he saw there a man who had no wedding garments. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. We see God's justice taking place here in this story. He is is just in His judgments on those who ignore His invitation. Well, this guy partly acknowledged the invitation. But we see a man who's coming to... To this wedding banquet, this wedding feast, without the appropriate clothes, without the proper clothing. Now, this is interesting. I got a question for you. What wedding garment is required to get into heaven? What wedding garment is required for you to actually get into the marriage supper of the Lamb? Well, the answer, my friend, is that you need the righteousness of Christ. That's the only way you can get in. It is that perfect righteousness that God provides freely, by the way, to all of us who are willing to repent of our sin, and then we must trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Because it's His righteousness that God must give to us. That is the only appropriate clothing. There's a wonderful hymn that really talks about this concept. I don't know if you've heard of the hymn, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. It was translated by Charles Wesley. Uh, let me just sing the one verse for you that I, I love this verse that it appropriately talks about this. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. Jesus' blood in righteousness, which is my glorious dress. And that's the only way you can get into the marriage supper of the Lamb. So my friend, if we're clothed in Christ's, in, in Christ's righteousness... We're going to be able to stand before God one day. We'll be able to rejoice in salvation, but only, only if you're clothed appropriately. And in this parable, Jesus is giving a much-needed warning here through this particular man who tries to kind of sneak in, so to speak. He comes into this feast without the proper wedding garments. And sometimes that's the way it is in life, isn't it? Some people think they deserve the king's bounty. They think they can come before God on the basis of their own good works. They reject the king's king's appropriate clothing to get into heaven. They reject Christ. They reject the righteousness of Christ. And they think, I'm good enough. 
their self-righteousness is good enough to get them to heaven. Many people are that way, just like the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They thought their self-righteousness would get them to heaven. Of course, it didn't, and Jesus exposed that error. What was the result? We see the result was there was punishment that came to this to this man who came in without the appropriate wedding garment. In fact, Jesus, by the way, who talks more about hell than anybody, mentioned that there was punishment that was deserving for this man because he came in without the appropriate garments. The Bible says he was thrown into outer darkness. And the lesson here for us is this, that failure to prepare adequately for the kingdom leads to eternal punishment. Let me repeat that. Failure to prepare adequately for the kingdom leads to eternal punishment. Because this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. That phrase, outer darkness, describes the the darkness farthest from the light. Complete, utter darkness. The phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, speaks of inconsolable grief. It speaks of an unending torment, a torment that is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, never, never, never going to end. Jesus commonly used these phrases and others throughout the Bible to describe a literal place called hell. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's referring to hell. This individual was thrown into hell. Jesus concludes by saying that all are offered salvation, but few accept it. That's the idea there in verse 14. Many are called, but few are chosen. The the gospel offer, if you will, goes to all, whosoever will may come, the Bible says. That phrase in verse 14 reflects the scriptural balance which we as humans have a hard time understanding, but there is this scriptural balance of God's sovereignty to man's responsibility or man's will, as some might say. So the invitations to the wedding feast, did you notice they went out to all? They went out to all, all people, but few responded. Few were were, were actually willing to submit to the king and show honor to the king and his son and accept this invitation, and thereby be among the chosen. One commentator put it this way, in case you're having a hard time understanding verse 14. I found this helpful. Listen to this. I quote this commentator. The call spoken of here is sometimes referred to as the general call or the external call, a summons to repentance and faith that is inherent in the gospel message. This call extends to all who hear the gospel. Many hear it, few respond. Those who respond are the chosen, the elect. Here a general call is in view, and this call extends to all who hear the gospel. This call is the great whosoever will of the gospel. Here then is the proper balance between human responsibility and divine sovereignty. The called who reject the invitation do so willingly, And therefore, their exclusion from the kingdom is perfectly just. They got exactly what they deserved. They rejected God and His gospel, and so God is just in giving them 
what they want. So the message is clear. Those who try to enter into heaven by any other way or or means than what God has actually prescribed, don't make it. It's, It's God's way or nothing, isn't it? God's way. And that's the only way you can make it. So without the robes of righteousness that, that, are, that are given to believers, without these robes of righteousness that the King has provided for you, there's no entrance into heaven. You will not get into the wedding feast. Self-righteousness will not enter there. The self-righteous are not, sorry, the self-righteous will not enter heaven. People like the scribes and Pharisees who thought, hey, my, my good works is good enough. It's only those who are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ who will attend. So, as the Bible says, hey, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. There's no forgiveness of sins without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sin of the world. And so everything else, no matter how how good it might be, everything else is not good enough. And so everyone else, it says here, is going to be cast into hell if you don't have the proper clothing. By the way, this place is where the soul is tormented forever and ever. The soul is is the you that lasts forever and ever. The real you that lasts forever and ever. Not your body, but your soul. So God's invitation has been sent, especially through His Son. And so if you haven't heard it before, then you're hearing it now, aren't you? God has sent each of us a special invitation through the blood of Jesus He's invited us to be a part of His bride and to come where He is. And in fact, Jesus said, you know what Jesus said in John 14, don't you? He said, I go to prepare a place for believers that where I am, there you may be also. I I will come again. I will receive you to Myself that where I am, there you may be also. In My Father's house, many rooms, That's where Jesus is now. He's in heaven preparing places to live for believers. And He is coming again, and He will receive believers to Himself. You get to be with Him where He is. So The Bible says when you become a believer, you become a Christian, you're you're, you're a part of the bride of Christ. The Holy Spirit seals you. You come, and you're able now to come where He is. And the groom is coming soon, the Bible says, and He's going to take away His bride. And so my friend, Jesus is that groom. The church is His bride. The question is, have you sent in your RSVP? Have you responded? You don't want to be like the individuals here in this parable that Jesus is telling who just ignored. They paid no attention to the King's invitation. Because that's all you have to do is pay no attention and you get hell. You don't get the king, you don't get his son, and you don't get a feast. Now, have you sent in your RSVP? Have, have you said, hey, I, I want to be there. I love the king. I love his son. So my friend, don't delay. For his coming can happen at any moment. Jesus could come back today. could come back now. Jesus will come, the Bible says, and when He does, He's going to take His bride and it's going to be in the twinkling of an eye. That's even faster than a second. 
And so your RSVP, your, your response must have already been sent. It must be received in heaven before Jesus comes or it's too late. So here it is, my friend. Here it is. Just a, just a few simple ex- exhortations for you. Make sure of your calling. Make your calling sure. The, the Bible, even, even the Apostle Peter says that we're to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. And he was writing to believers when he said that. Make sure of your calling. Respond to your invitation right now. If you're an unbeliever, then that means you need to forsake your sin. You need to confess your sin to God. Surrender your life to Christ and then live for Him. And while you do that, you've got to trust in the only wedding garment that is appropriate, which is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Christ. You've got to put on that robe of righteousness which God gives to believers. And it only comes to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Have you done that, my friend? I know some of you have heard the gospel over and over and over and over again. But there is no more important thing that you could do if you've never put on that robe of righteousness that, that comes from Jesus today, today do it, please, I beg you. <laughs> the gospel call has gone to all the world. Whosoever will may come. God loves, and that's why the Bible says in John three sixteen, He loved the world so much, He gave us the greatest gift there is, which is His Son, so that whoever believes in Jesus Christ won't perish, but will have eternal life. And so that eternal life can start now for you and go through all eternity. It's, it's not just a quantity thing. It's also a quality thing. Quality of life comes to those who believe in Jesus as well. So my friend, if you have put your faith in Christ, you're, you, you would say, hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm only trusting in Christ, nothing else. My good works, they, they can't get me to heaven. No way. My friend, you must continue to trust in Christ. You must firmly believe this. You must continually cling to Christ. He is your all. 